Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. So today we're going to look at Acts chapter 24, and we are moving closer and closer to the end of our series on Acts, God's kingdom mission for the church. And I I try to revisit this regularly. Acts is connected to one of the gospels. Which gospel is it connected to? Luke. That is right. So actually it was one scroll. It was Luke-Acts. And it was authored by Dr. Luke, right? And so we have seen that it is the continuation of the story and ministry of Jesus. So Jesus, his life and ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the Father's right hand. And then as we see in Acts, the Spirit of God has poured out the very same Spirit that rested on Jesus, so when Jesus said back in Luke 4, 18 and 19, the spirit of the Lord is on me. The same spirit that was on Christ the King comes on his church. And so he looks to them and he says, the power is going to come on you. And you're going to be my witnesses here locally in concentric circles throughout the ancient Near East, to the ends of the earth. And so it's a magnificent story. And so what we're seeing today is yet another step in that story. Paul, the most unlikely person to become a Christian, encounters Jesus in Acts 9 and gets knocked off his horse. And Jesus commissions him, and he is born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. And people prophesy to him, and now he's fulfilling what happened in that conversion and that commission. And so we get to see, I just try to revisit the story, and I hope that some of you are reading it along with us and that you're really pondering that this message takes root in our hearts because it is electrifying. It really is. It's, it's our history and it's our future as a church. So that's why we have spent week after week in this book because it is incredibly inspiring and empowering and it shows us about making disciples like Jesus said in Matthew 28 where you find the church doing it. It shows us reaching unreached people with the gospel of Jesus. It shows us, some of you are nodding big time over that because that's stirring in your hearts right now. It shows how simple the church being developed and planted and growing really is. And can you remember in Acts chapter 2, there's a moment where we get to see into the church and people are being converted and saved by the thousands. And what did the church devote themselves to? What was it? It was four things. If I had more hats, I'd be giving them out right now. What was the first thing? The apostles' teaching. And then what? Fellowship. And then breaking of bread, sharing meals, and celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then prayer. So AFBP, I think in acronyms. So, and then we're seeing today, there's quite a bit of stuff at the end of the story 
where it's teaching us how Christians relate to the state, how they relate to the empire, how they relate to the authorities. And so I've mentioned that this stuff can be, in your own reading time, it can be rather challenging, and frankly, it's the word of God, but we get bored, right? So in the past, I've been rather bored with some of the latter chapters, but that is changing. I've, I've found as I read and pray and study with you in mind, these latter chapters, they are critically important. They're very, very important. And the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to record these things for a reason, for the church to learn. And a big part of this is so that future Christians can know how to conduct themselves in precarious situations. When the state, when the government, when the empire moves in to clamp down and your life is threatened, we're seeing how early Christians like Paul dealt with it, right? So today is pretty staggering. Paul is not only going to defend himself very thoughtfully, he's going to use his reason that God has given him, and we got some lawyers in the house. I mean, he is doing, he's taking on the argument of a lawyer, a professional, and he is pretty much mopping the floor with them. He's picking apart their argument against him. He's using his reason, but at the same time, he's going to preach the gospel in court. And so it's an example for us to defend ourselves with reason when we need to, to explain ourselves, and at the same time, not cower one bit. So the Apostle Paul is standing before increasingly important and authorized people. And each time he lets them hear the fullness of the gospel. So it's rather interesting to see. So today we're going to see this case against Paul. Paul's going to be standing before a governor named Felix. Makes me think of Felix the cat, right, from the 70s. So he's going to be before Felix. He's going to defend himself. There's going to be a a case that's laid out against him in the first nine verses. And then Paul's going to defend himself from verses 10 to 23. And then it's going to end the chapter from verses 24 to 27 with Paul being left in custody for two more years. He's a prisoner. So Lord, we ask that you would open up this passage to us. And as we prayed earlier, as Macy prayed the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. We pray for the Holy Spirit to open up the word of God to us. And Jesus, we ask for our hearts to burn with the power of the word of God and truth. We thank you for your word. And we pray in the name of Jesus, who is the word. Amen. So as we look at this, we're going to read the first nine verses. And I want us to just think, Underlying all of this is the presence of the resurrected Jesus. So let's not get lost in the details. Keep in mind, Jesus himself has invaded Paul's life. And now Paul has put everything on the line. He is going out and facing persecution and suffering and being stoned and nearly put to death and fleeing for his life, and he's been protected by guards. And so here we are in chapter 24, and he's about to go before a high official in a Roman court. So here we are, Acts 24, let's read 1 through 9. So five days later, and that's five days after Paul had 
escaped and been brought by escort. You remember there was like over 200 soldiers that brought him to Caesarea, and that's where he is now. So five days later, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and an attorney. So picture it. He's about to go into court. And I actually think I have an image. Can we just throw that image up real quick? Sorry to throw you off. It's kind of difficult to see there. Sorry about that. It's actually a beautiful painting of what it may have looked like. We'll come back to that. Okay. So five days later, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and an attorney, a certain Tertullus, and they reported their case against Paul to the governor. When Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, he's going to lay out three things. Your excellency, because of you, we have long enjoyed peace. So he's buttering him up big time. And reforms that have been made for this people because of your foresight. We welcome this in every way and everywhere with utmost gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you to hear us briefly with your customary graciousness. We have, in fact, found this man a pestilent fellow, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the world. Secondly, he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Thirdly, he even tried to profane the temple, and so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn from him concerning everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge by asserting that all this was true. So we've said this. The case is against Paul. It's being laid out here. He was, Paul was summoned. He's wearing chains. He's bound to a Roman soldier. And this lawyer named Tertullus, he's probably a Greek-speaking Jew. He's a Hellenistic Jew, so he moves in both the worlds. He knows the Jewish world, and he knows the Roman world. And he's a professional, so he begins to accuse Paul. And you saw it, didn't you? A lot of flattery, a lot of hot air at the beginning just going on blathering about how amazing Felix is. And you know what? None of it's true. (laughs) That's what's sad is he's lying because Felix was known to be quite a tyrant. And the Jewish people didn't really like him. He was hated by the Jews. He was known for taking bribes from people. He was corrupt. And so none of what he's saying is true. And then he lays out these three charges. The first one is personal. He calls him a pest. He basically says he's like a contagious plague everywhere. And he's trying to paint a very graphic picture. He's a a professional orator as well. So he's saying this dude is a plague to the Jewish people. Everywhere he goes, he spreads the virus, which is actually a compliment, isn't it? If you think about it, Paul is going in and he is spreading the message of Jesus wherever he goes. This guy views it as a plague, but Paul knows it's the gospel of the kingdom. A second thing, it's political. The first one was rather personal, but the second charge there in verse five is he's leading sedition. And he's propagating an illegal religion. And you see what it says here. 
Look at verse 5 at the end. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. This is the only time this word appears in the whole New Testament. And it's insulting terms. He's basically saying everywhere he goes, he foments trouble. He is a ringleader. And as a matter of fact, he's leading a Nazarene sect. It's not even an official religion. Now, this would have caused the Roman leader to perk his ears up because official sanctioned religions were allowed. This lawyer was trying to say what Paul is doing is unofficial. He's doing something that is not an officially recognized religion. The third thing here, and this would have meant nothing to Felix, he was, it was a doctrinal point. He was saying he's profaned the temple. He's made the temple unclean. And so what we're going to see is Paul is going to go back through, click through all three of those, and answer each one. Are we clear on that? You see this? And so he's ratcheting up his argument, and then let's look at verse 10 and read through verse 23. And think through with those three charges in mind, look at how Paul answers. When the governor motioned for him to speak, so he has so much authority, he doesn't even have to say anything. He gives one of these. Your turn, Paul. Paul replied, I cheerfully make my defense, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation. As you can find out, it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They did not find me disputing with anyone in the temple or stirring up a crowd, either in the synagogues or throughout the city. Neither can they prove to you the charge that they now bring against me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our ancestors, believing everything laid down according to the law or written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, a hope that they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. Therefore, I do my best always to have a clear conscience toward God and all people. Now, after some years, I came to bring my alms to my nation and to offer sacrifices. While I was doing this, they found me in the temple, completing the rite of purification without any crowd or disturbance. But there were some Jews from Asia. They ought to be here before you to make an accusation they're not there if they have anything against me or let these men here tell what crime they had found when I stood before the council the Sanhedrin unless it was this one sentence that I called out while standing before them it is about the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today but Felix who was rather well informed about the way, adjourned the hearing with the comment, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he ordered the centurion to keep him in custody, but to let him have some liberty and not to prevent any of his friends from taking care of his needs. So this is Paul's defense. You heard it, not a whole lot to comment on, but it's funny how he begins. I'm glad to be here. I am cheerfully making my defense. Again, he's wearing a chain, he's bound to a soldier, and yet he's happy in Jesus. 
come on, Paul, I want whatever he's sipping on, whatever he's drinking on, and it's called the Holy Ghost, right? He says, number one, I'm not a, a troublemaker. And he denies having caused any riots, and he's mentioning numbers like five days because he says there's no time for me to connect with people and to foment any kind of riot. He's like, give me a break. I'm barely there, and I'm there to fulfill that Nazarite vow, and I'm there to bring money to my own people. Twelve days isn't enough for me to incite anything. He was there to worship. Then he says, secondly, he says, I'm not a seditious ringleader. And this is really important. This is where some of the meat of the passage is. He says at verse 14, I'm not a seditious ringleader of a sect. I'm actually in deep continuity with the very people that are bringing this charge against me. He says, I live according to the way. And we've encountered that before, haven't we? Do you remember in Acts where Paul was a persecutor of the way? And now Luke with holy irony is showing here, now Paul is actually living for and proclaiming the way. Now, friends, where, where do we hear about the way in the Gospels? Can you think of where you hear about the way? Where is it? What did Jesus say himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that's where the saying comes from. Christ himself, what Paul is saying is, I live according to the way of Rabbi Jesus. I live according to his way. So I'm deeply connected to the Old Testament, deep appreciation for the law, for the Torah. And so what these guys are charging me with is ridiculous. And then he goes on to say that he worships the same God, doesn't he? So he worships Yahweh, the God of their ancestors, and he believes everything laid down in the scriptures, the same scriptures. And so he's saying, really, what I'm a part of is not something novel or new. It's not a sect. It's actually growing out of the soil of the Jewish religion. Jesus was Jewish and always will be Jewish. Paul is Jewish. And so the Christian faith comes out of the seedbed of Judaism. Do you see that? And Paul talks about that. He's going to go on in Romans 9, 10, and 11 to explain that Christianity is not a sect, but it's an outgrowth of the Jewish faith. And he's beginning to lay that important message out here. Now, this last part is interesting. Again, think about it. He's standing before a governor, and what's the last part of that at verse 16? So he lays those theological truths out, but then he says he lives in a certain way. What is it? Verse 16. He wants to live with a clear conscience. Now, this is the second time we've encountered this, isn't it? In the last few chapters, there's something about a clear conscience that Paul is adamant about. And it's so important to him. He's telling Felix, the governor, I don't just obey Jewish law, which is fulfilled in Christ the Messiah. I don't just obey Roman law but I actually follow the Holy Spirit day by day, moment by moment, and I'm more than just a good citizen. I live in the fear of the Lord, and I want a clear conscience. I'm gonna follow 
the internal compass that God has given me. So you can be assured that I'm telling the truth and that I'm doing all that I can to be a truthful person. Isn't that beautiful? And so even in this, he's talking about having a clear conscience toward God and toward other people. Where else can you remember Jesus saying something that's toward God and toward other people? Can you remember? Mark chapter 12, Jesus is asked, what's the most important thing in the whole law? And what's he say? That's right, love for the Lord and love for people. And so Paul is echoing that. I'm doing the best that I can to love the Lord and to love people and to follow that conscience. Now, this for us, I think, is particularly interesting. Now, most of us aren't going to be called in to stand you know, before a court. Maybe one day, some of you will. Maybe here, another country. But there's something that Paul is doing here. He's making a public confession of faith, isn't he? So he's boiling down what's really, really important. And he's saying, I'm connected to the way Jesus and his people. I worship God by reading and obeying all the scriptures. I have a hope in God. And so it's interesting, this week I was like, huh, seems like our mission of the church is kind of found in here a little bit. We are a community of worship and we're rooted in the Jewish and early Christian soil, right? He talks about the worship of God. He talks about believing and reading all the scriptures. And so we talk about formation around here, don't we? We're a community of worship and formation. And that happens as we read and meditate on and pray and obey the Bible. And then the idea of mission. He lives with a sensitive conscience following the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is telling him to share the gospel, to pray for the sick, to do these very these very things that are happening. He says that he's not a temple desecrator in verse 17. So we could drill down into this, but I want to move on to Paul being held in custody. And before that, though, did you notice? Look at verse 22. This is interesting. Felix, Felix the cat, the governor, he is rather well informed about the way. Do you find that interesting? It's a Roman governor. It's like, dude, how do you know about Jesus? How do you know about Paul and the apostles and the early church? He has some kind of working knowledge. The next section is going to answer that. So let's look at this end of the passage, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table together. Look at verse 24. Paul is held in custody here. Some days later, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, He sent for Paul and heard him concerning faith in Christ Jesus. And as he discussed, look at this, justice or righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present. When I have an opportunity, I will send for you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. And for that reason, he used to send for him very often and converse with him. After two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus 
And since he wanted to grant the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. So friends, what we get to see here, as Paul is held in custody, Felix and his wife Drusilla, she was about 20 years old, she was Jewish, so now we know how Felix knew about the way. It was through his wife, his third wife, by the way. We're gonna, so we're going to see Paul talk about three things. He's talking about faith in Christ. So here he is with the most powerful person in the region telling him about his faith in Jesus. And we've seen him recount his conversion story. I went from Christ persecutor to Christ follower and church planter. So he's sharing all this. But then look at the three things in verse 25. Do you see it? The version New Revised Standard has justice, but it can actually be righteousness. It basically means God's approval. What's the second thing, church? Self-control. Isn't that interesting? He would address that with the governor. And then the coming judgment. And how did Felix respond? With great bravada and strength. I want to hear more about this. What happened? The fear of the Lord came over him. He was trembling. He was scared. And so Paul was bringing it. Paul was telling him he was addressing the sin of his past, Drusilla as well. And he was letting him know, because we read Paul talk about righteousness in other places in Scripture, don't we? Where does Paul really unpack his theology of righteousness? Where is it? Book of Romans, isn't it? And so Paul explains, and you know that he was saying this to Felix and Drusilla. He was saying, you're sinners. You stand in sin before God. You break his law. And so Paul is tightening the screws. He's shining light. And he knows that Felix seduced Drusilla. She was with another man, married, and made her his third wife. And so they're lawbreakers, and they stand under the wrath of God. And Paul is telling them that. And then he's going to go on to say, along with this discussion of righteousness, Felix and Drusilla, you can be made right with God. You stand condemned now, but through faith in Christ, you can actually receive the righteousness of Christ in your bankrupt bank account. So Paul is saying this, the second thing, which is interesting, self-control. And again, he's addressing that because he knows he's got two people who are the epitome of not being self-controlled. They get whatever they want. They live without self-control. They've left spouses. They take bribes. They're corrupt to the core. And so Paul is saying, through Christ, you can actually have self-control. Now, in the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it's mentioned there, isn't it? It's the last fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul is telling them, you can actually be born again, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you can control yourselves. And then lastly, this is where Felix really trembles. What's the last thing in Paul's presentation, really, of the gospel again? It's interesting to see the things that he addresses in his presentation of the gospel. What is it? The coming judgment. So we've seen this over and over again. When the gospel is shared in the book of Acts, this is something that oftentimes gets left out. But Paul is telling them, I don't care how high in authority you are. 
I don't care how, ma- how many fortunes and riches you command and soldiers. You, Felix, and Drusilla will stand before Christ the King, the resurrected judge, and you will give account for your life. And you can either experiencing, you can experience him as savior or judge, but that day is coming. And he was bringing this message over and over again. Friends, what does this tell us about the way we present the gospel to people today? Do we do all that we talk about? You can get right with God. You're a sinner, but you can be made right with God. And you can receive the Holy Spirit who can help you live in self-control. But the judgment stuff, we're not talking about. That's not very politically correct in 2023. It's not very loving So if we're going to follow scripture, if we're going to follow the example of the apostles teaching and preaching, do we bring that as part of the gospel? What do you think? Now, so what we're seeing here, it is actually the most loving thing that we can do is share with people. What I'm talking about really matters. Get right with Jesus. Let him clothe you with his righteousness and reconcile you to God because you're bankrupt. Because, friend, you will one day stand before him. You'll stand before the judge, and you'll give account for all the deeds you've done in your body. So, friends, this has been going to work on me this week. I have oftentimes left that out as I share the gospel with people, but not anymore. I I want that to be a part of the message somehow in love and kindness, but directness. I share with someone, and I say, I hope you really take this to heart. Because you, like me, will stand before Jesus and give account. Now, if you're clothed in his righteousness, it's wonderful. You'll hear him say, well done, and enter the kingdom. But if you've resisted him like Felix, then it will be the worst day of your life. Amen? So, Lord, help us do that. Then it ends, this passage ends, and why don't we stand we find Felix, the procrastinator, saying, I can't hear from you anymore, and as a matter of fact, I'm not making any decision. I'm going to pass the buck. You're the hot potato I don't want to handle, so I'm passing you on to the next person. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these verses here, and we pray that you would fill us with boldness to share the gospel, the fullness of the gospel, And I just want to give an opportunity here. We're getting ready to come and celebrate communion. But when the gospel is in a text like we're looking at, I want to give people an opportunity to respond. So you might be here today, and this might be fresh news for you, or maybe something you've heard before. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to reach out to Jesus, to repent, to turn from your life of sin and to give yourself to him. And I would encourage you to do that right now. All right. We're going to uh, come to the Lord's table.